Do you love to talk about rescue dogs almost too much? Us too. This is why I created a space where we can celebrate it. This podcast is for those who are passionate about rescue because dogs, whether they're a foster or a new member of your family, they rescue us right back. Each week, we invite a member of the dog rescue community to talk about their passion for rescue dogs and how their life has never been the same. This is Rescue Dog Love, a rescue community podcast. I'm Yamini, and this is my first rescue, Bust. Hello, rescue dog lovers of the internet. My name is Yamini, and I'm back with a great, really important episode for you all. I'd like to start this off by mentioning that this episode does contain potentially triggering content, especially for those who face domestic violence, family violence, and sex trafficking. We are spending this episode speaking to Yvonne Tang, chair of registered charity Safe Pet Ontario, which focuses on providing safekeeping for those who are fleeing family violence, human trafficking, by temporarily finding foster homes for their beloved pets. I hope this episode helps educate you on the issues at hand, but also encourages you and those in your community to help their mission. They really need fosters, especially for large dogs. They need volunteers, and um, they need just to be shared out there for those who need their help. Thank you for listening, and please check out all of the Safe Pet Ontario links in the description to see what you can do to help. Hello, Yvonne. Welcome to the Rescue Dog Love Podcast. Thanks, Yemini, for having us on your show. So proud to be able to represent Safe Pet Ontario and share our story with your audience. And my name is Yvonne Tang, and I'm currently chair of the board of Safe Pet Ontario. And thank you for joining me. I think this is really an opportunity for my audience to see what other opportunities they have to give back. Lots of people in the rescue space are super passionate about animals and animal welfare. But obviously, we all have a lot of, you know, different issues that could affect us or could be something we want to support. And I think the more we can advocate for, you know, safe pets from all sorts of situations and helpful at the same time, I think that's what's really cool about what you guys are doing at Safe Pet Ontario. Before we get started, let's get a bit about yourself. So you're the chair of Safe Pet Ontario. So what does that role entail for maybe those who aren't familiar with how boards work with uh, registered charity. We just became a registered charity in January this year. And prior to that, we were a nonprofit organization. And so chair of the board really is responsible for the overarching needs and organization of our activities. And I try to make sure that at our each of our board meetings, we're organized, we have an agenda, we know what we need to follow up on, as well as monitoring our volunteers and the other board members and all our sort of separate committees that we're all actively working on. We are an active board, which means that everyone on there is working to move Safe Pet Ontario forward. And so there's a lot of stuff that is happening at the same time in terms of fundraising, foster development, volunteer management, marketing, all those kinds of things that have to happen to make Safe Pet Ontario really succeed in what we're trying to do. 
there's so much work working for, you know, a nonprofit <laughs> even. And then when you have a registered charity, you have a bunch of different things on top of that. So I think that's great just to show that you have a team that's really dedicated to this cause. And what's your work background? Did you work in like the animal space or in the women's health space? Not at all. So <laughs> funny enough, we were originally called Link Coalition Toronto. And so we were focused on the GTA and education and safe pet was our first program that we developed as Link Coalition Toronto. And we really wanted to develop something that supported people in the GTA in terms of finding support for them and their animals as they were escaping domestic violence and human trafficking. Eventually, we'd been working really closely with Safe Pet Ontario and the OVMA formed this program quite a while ago, I think the early 2000s. And so we kind of wanted to think about how things have changed within the last like 20 some odd years. And at the time that we started Safe Pet Ontario, my friend came up to me and said, did you know there's no shelters in Toronto that will let women take their animals with you? And right away, I was like, what? I don't even go away on vacation without expecting my friends to send me pictures of my pets while I'm away. And so I couldn't imagine just the thought of leaving them behind and, and not having any connection to their animals and also that worry about their safety and their animal safety and the broader kind of ripple effect of those security factors that go along with everything. And so we really wanted to make sure that we had that and we're the, like the biggest city in Canada. So how does that yeah. not exist? And so Haley Glayholt, which is the other co-founder, and I really kind of talked about and met with a lot of people in the industry to see how we could really best fit in. And our initial program was Safe Pet and Education with a really strong kind of education factor. So in 2022, when we took over Safe Pet Ontario, continuing working with the OVMA the entire time, we really thought about what worked best and that we knew that we could, based on our success in Toronto and the GTA, that we really could adapt what we were doing and or continue to be flexible and adapt for all of Ontario. So I think, you know, obviously expanding across Ontario, there's so many different things to think about and cover. There's obviously a lot of agricultural land. There is more distance in communities. You know, we had dealt with a lot of the challenge of city already with the GTA, but it is amplified once, amplified and then changed differently once you get out of the city. And so based on our experience, we really thought that we could still be adaptable to the needs of other places. But we also wanted to be sure we were doing it responsibly in a way that we could grow exponentially, but in a really still community building way. And I think that's really important in everything that we are trying to do. So while Safe Pet Ontario is now the name of our organization, we still really believe in education for frontline professionals in the industry and connecting everyone together, but also to the public as well, that this issue is really affects all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe just to bring it back to kind of like a baseline, like what would you say Safe Pet Ontario's mission is? So we're kind of in a way, our mission is to not exist anymore. Ever, yeah, you know, <laughs> really, what we say is we exist to fill a gap 
in the gender-based violent sector, which is providing pet safekeeping for those fleeing family violence and human trafficking, and second, to educate frontline professionals and the public about the link. So the link is a body of research that connects the four types of family violence, which is elder abuse, animal abuse, and intimate partner violence. And I should say that we just define family violence broadly. So it's intimate partner violence, adults abusing children, adult children abusing their elders, children abusing their family members, and children abusing their pets. So it's like really holistic to look at it. And to note, our youngest client for Safe Pet Ontario is 15. And we have lots of clients that have children. So it is really, you know, the whole family. I definitely want to maybe take this opportunity to put that education piece because I think um, for people who, you know, maybe don't work in the sector, but also in general, like only learn about these stories through the news cycle, just general education routes, like what are the issues in Canada that you see for example, through your line of work with SafePad Ontario? Not having come from the industry at all, there were so many things that we learned immediately. For me, it was the way we had started out, we had hoped that everything would come through women's shelters or through police. But we realized that quite quickly, these women were very, and and I say women because it is a majority of our cases, but we don't exclude any gender or identifications. What we have found is people are really resourceful when they need help. And so we unexpectedly had immediate contact with survivors from the start. And that was a really big learning curve for us. Luckily, Haley Glayholt is a family mediator. So she has a bit more experience than I did coming from a completely different place. And so it was really talking and learning to our caseworkers and other people from the industry in terms of how we speak to our clients and work with them and give them guidance. And it was really eye-opening and really important for us at that early stage to realize that it was so directly impactful for people that needed our help. And we have been lucky enough to stay in touch with some of them. They've even foster now or they volunteer for us. That has been really, really heartwarming and emotional, but also we've learned so much just through the work that we're doing. Yeah. So do you find that folks will reach out to you at any stage of this process? So whether they're, you know, maybe planning to leave their situation or have already left and maybe like you said discovered that shelters won't accommodate their pets yeah absolutely and originally we were thinking we were only domestic violence and intimate partner violence and then we even learned you know not at the beginning of our formation that sex trafficking is such a huge thing in Canada and human trafficking does happen here and is not something that only happens you know on the other side of the world and so that's why we really kind of stress in our material that it is uh, intimate partner violence and human trafficking. Let's talk about maybe like the scale of these issues and just so people can have some context. So I think one of the things I er learned really early on and still kind of hits me today is that approximately every six days, a woman in Canada is killed by her intimate partner every six days. To me, that is 
just unacceptable in so many ways. And then on top of that, six in 10 Indigenous women have experienced some form of intimate partner violence in their lifetime. Another crazy thing is that you know, between 2010 and 2020, police services in Canada reported nearly 3000 incidents of human trafficking. So that's recruiting, transporting, transferring, holding, concealing, and exercising control over a person for purposes of exploitation. And one of the first stories that I that I heard from one of our clients was that you know, she was still in high school and had been her boyfriend had. So sometimes they don't even know that they are or think that they are victims of human trafficking, but we can piece it together just based on our knowledge. Yeah, that's definitely just shows like you said, this is a very pertinent issue in Canada. And as much as I know, you said you're now expanding to like other parts of Ontario, like I'm sure you know, a lot of my listeners in the GTA and being in a city definitely means that there's probably a lot more that we can't see that is happening in front of our eyes. As much as it's upsetting, it's uh, really good to just continue to educate ourselves about the realities that people live through. The other thing I should just note is that almost half of LGB plus women Mm -hmm. indicated that they've been physically or sexually assaulted. So it's not just heterosexual women that experience this, but it is all genders, all orientations, people with disabilities, all ages as well. So there's really not, you know, a kind of small bucket that we're working with. Let's maybe talk about the process that you go through with an individual who seeks your help, has a pet, they're trying to escape their situation. So once they apply, how do you work with the arrangements of figuring out where their pet's going to be? So the first thing we do is respond back and and ask any other detailed questions, check their eligibility for the program on Unfortunately, we have to do that because we are quite specific and need to be careful with our resources and our availability that we have. We then ask if there's an urgent hold, because as you can imagine, a lot of times this is something that has to happen quite quickly. And if it does, we need to put that up to the the top of our list. Then we kind of send out emails to our fosters with all the information that we have. Because fostering for us is not just, you know, regional, but if they are staying in a shelter, there is things like catchment areas, we don't want them, you know, if you can imagine you what a nightmare it would be if we had a foster dog going for a walk in the neighborhood that the abuser lives, right? Yeah. And so those kind of things, as well as like their behavioral challenges or opportunities, if they get along with cats or not, etc. Because we have fosters of all type. And then we communicate with the client as well as a caseworker. And the great thing I think that we do is even if you don't have a caseworker, you're not going into shelter, we're able to connect you with someone that can help to help you apply and help you get the the help that you need. Because we also realize we're not the only help potentially that is required for these survivors. Oh, I'm sure there's, you know, some people like might be really, really unsure about how to navigate the next stage of their life. So it's great to connect them with the rest of the services they have available. Absolutely. And so we arrange a confidential and safe drop off and pick up location 
location for the owners to drop off their pets and pick them up. And along the way, of course, we answer tons of questions, as you can imagine, from concerned owners about the details while they're pets in foster and making sure a lot of times I think that they are just reassured that they'll get them back on time, that uh, that they're able to get them back, that they're well cared for, um, and that there is a connection. So unfortunately, based on safety reasons, we don't allow visits during our fostering, but we do try to do our best and they can get updates on how their pets are doing. So we ask our foster families to, you know, send photos, give some updates, how their pets settling in or what kind of like fun adventures they've been up to just to keep that connection because we know that it's so important to the clients. I mean, you know, like I said, I would not want to leave my pet behind and not be able to kind of get some sort of update. And even those pictures, I think, go a long way. So we will foster up to one year and we've developed that, which is much longer, I think, than a lot of rescues because we realize that housing in Ontario can be super, super tough, whether it's finding housing that is directly related to your resources you have available, whether you need medical care or mental health care or longer to get on their feet. We want to just make sure they feel comfortable and not rush to really get healthy. We want them to take the time that they need. And so during that one year time, we cover necessary vet care. And we also have a dog behaviorist that are on our team that can help support the foster families as well. And then finally, the reunion, which is I've been on a few reunion drop offs. And it's like, I can't even tell you how amazing it is. You know, we get owners that are unsure if their pets will remember them after a year. And sometimes their pets are a little confused because they've been dropped off by this person they've been with it with a year and then get in the car with me, for example. And I had one where I dropped, I had the dog and I put it on the floor after getting out of my car. And he was really happy and really cute. And then the owner was kind of standing there crying. And I saw the moment that the dog heard the owner's voice and ran up to her and then everyone just started crying. It was just like the sweetest moment and she had been so worried that he wouldn't recognize her. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I was bawling, but it was the sweetest, most lovely thing and I'm glad that she was safe and able to take him back. So that sounds incredible and what an opportunity for a foster to really help again, not just like a pet, potentially not be in a hard situation themselves but also help the person really not hopefully not worry too much about um, (laughs) what's going on with their pets so they can focus on themselves because obviously what is hard is that pets can be a big financial barrier like you said access barrier to very simple resources like shelters so knowing they're in a safe home I'm sure really helps them get to that other side a bit easier yeah we do say sometimes well a lot of the times that it's like you're not just saving one life but two because without being able to foster their pets, they're not always able to get the help that they need. And also they say that like leaving the abusive situation is the most dangerous point. And so them knowing that they have us as support and then whatever on their other side that they need for support and providing as much as we can give them in terms of our fostering the vet care and know that they're really well looked after. We just want 
want to do the best so that they can really get on their feet again. For the fosters, how does the process work? So for fosters, we have also an application online. And then there's a bunch of FAQs that I think are obviously concern and help us with our their safety and security and our sort of protocols. So Within the year, they would go to, if there is vet issues or anything, we, they coordinate with our foster coordinator, and then we'd work with the vet and then go back and forth in terms of what's required. Sometimes these pets, as you can imagine, through their abusive situations, have not seen vet, may not be spayed have not had a lot of socializing. And so we wanted to make sure that we had that kind of assistance with the training and the options and positive reinforcement. And we also pack that along to the owners when they return the pets as well. So they can continue building that relationship with their pets as well. So I think one of the the great things is uh, that I've learned, I've been a foster several times, as you can imagine, when we first started out, it was like friends and family, anyone who wants to help build this, spread the word all that kind of things. I have certainly learned a lot about dogs and behavior and teaching. So things like leash walking or recall or you know when to give it time it I mean he or her time to relax de-stress all those things I take along with me and you keep going right like that's free for all of our fosters because we need it the other thing is we try and create a community with our fosters we really want them to know that without this this wouldn't happen But we also recognize that a year is a long time. And so, you know, we're, we're used to, and we offer, you know, do you need a break now? You know, was this foster particularly like, you know, difficult to let go? I mean, I've ride for days after, you know, that I've had fosters or you're crying on your way to drop them off because you've made this connection with them. But you have that mixed feeling of, you know, they're alive because of you and you know that they're going back to their family because of you. So there's a bit of those mixed feelings. But in the end, without our fosters, we couldn't do what we're doing. I should say when we apply, there's lots of questions and we are very rigorous in our security because of the work that we do. But we also, because we know that there's so many things, our foster application is quite long. So we ask like, like what size of dog are you willing to foster? What kind of behavioral issues are you experienced with and or willing to learn? Same with medical issues. What pets do you have at home and what are they like? What's your home like? And so we want to make sure we're getting as much information as we can, but also that we provide as much as we can once the client applies online. So they will tell us. And obviously, sometimes we take it with a grain of salt, but you know, we'll understand he likes other female dogs or, you know, he doesn't like going to the park. And so as much as possible, just continuing their home life with us to make it less stressful for them too because they're coming from such a uh, the same kind of situation and if someone if a foster is like you know planning any holidays or vacations are there opportunities to have some sitters or temp fosters? Yeah, sure. So I did miss that we have length of time you're available to foster because sometimes people don't want to commit to the one year. We hope that they can. But we also know people have lives and they need to go on vacation. So we certainly have short term fosters as well and then do our best to keep the support foster with the main foster as much as possible. So there's less confusion or, you know, less getting used to and they already know that 
that that second foster family for vacations or you know whatever reason the foster family need a, a, a break or to get away and I think I meant earlier and I didn't make it clear if you provide any supply so we try and ask the foster families to provide what they can but if they can't we do have some supplies and we do have some resources that we can offer but as you can imagine it yeah. can be quite costly for a year but we'll do our best to support those I don't think that you not having the finances means you can't love an animal or as much as somebody else and so we really kind of make that consideration as well awesome so yeah people can apply to foster from pretty much any income bracket but obviously any support you can give financially through getting food getting poo bags getting toys is always yeah, nice exactly. okay and I should say even though I know you're a rescue dog we do all kinds of animals and you're able to apply as a foster for different types of animals and sizes and you know kittens rabbit reptiles yeah everything. that's definitely good to know I know a lot of people love to rescue all sorts of animals and you know maybe if you have a dog who's not dog friendly why not have a little reptile that you could keep separated from them I had a friend that was fostering a that had a brown lab yeah and then she her daughter really wanted to you know foster rabbits so their fo- first foster was a rabbit that was the same color as their dog and they became the best of friends and so the rabbit was always sleeping on the dog but they were all one color and it was like the cutest thing ever that is so sweet so (laughs) why not bring a little happiness to your home while helping others out so that's amazing in particular we're really looking for fosters that are willing to foster big dogs and by big we mean 80 100 120 pound dogs somehow we find them the most challenging to find foster homes for so in particular if there's anyone out there that loves big dogs please sign up to foster we'd love to have you join our foster family same thing happens in rescue and I'm sure these big dogs are probably just want to lie down and sleep all day I know (laughs) I know and I just feel so bad for them but uh yeah they're like my favorite but the fosters that I've had have been big yeah um I had a husky mix and then I had uh she was like a pit bull mix but she was like a baby and she was only 72 pounds I think had the time but she was the one that I cried what is like your favorite foster story that you've heard either from your own experience or from others I actually didn't have dogs when I first started linked her on really so you fostered and then you were like I need one yeah it was actually like I was I wanted to get a dog and my friends were like maybe you should foster first and so I applied at a couple foster places and then my friend came to me with this and I was like oh yeah I'll foster for us. I tried it out and it was super helpful for me because thinking about getting a dog and getting a dog or pet sitting your friend's dog is completely different. Completely. And especially so. for it up to a year, like that really is a realistic look. So definitely something for people to consider, I think, because yeah. obviously with a foster program, we do have fosters that people take care of for up to a year just because the adoption's not happening. They're like, you know, maybe a dog who has some behavioral concerns that just like keep them from being easily adoptable but for the most part it's two to three months so definitely having a full year with a dog can be a very different experience totally yeah so one of our fosters was a little dog and we think he was used to being carried a lot and so when we first got him into foster they didn't really understand why he was like a little bit standoffish 
And slowly we kind of figured out that he had been in a difficult situation and he had a lot of medical issues. And so we, we worked with the vets to clear that up for him. And then we slowly realized that, you know, one of our fosters was amazing. And she realized that he just liked to carry a little toy in his mouth the whole time. So if you went out for walks, he was always carrying like a little like a little tiny stuffed pig or a little tiny stuffed duck or something. And then he would be as happy as can be. And before that, he would like try and like bark at people or just be like, you know, a little kind of not the friendliest guy. But as soon as he had this little thing in his mouth, he was like trotting along and he would really like have his tail wagging and everything like he was the proudest guy based on that. That's adorable. Another story we had, um, our we had a client, one of our first clients, she came to us and she found us by herself. And she had been leaving the shelter to go home when she thought her abuser wasn't home to feed her cat and the shelter was really concerned about it because as soon as you leave the shelter you are exposing everybody at a shelter to potentially having the abuser follow and then everyone is in danger there and so she found us and we had just started and she got her cat into our our program and so she was fostered by a foster who had a cat that looked exactly the same as her cat and so for the first little bit they couldn't tell them apart and then they realized there was like a spot on the bottom of one of them that was distinctive but they looked exactly the same but we also found out later from the client that her cat used to attack her abuser and literally like would run across the room to just like smack him sometimes or if he knew something was happening and to me I've been a cat owner my whole life and I didn't even think that they would do that kind of thing so just kind of like they're just amazing animals Animals are are very intuitive (laughs) totally yeah we don't deserve them (laughs) in a lot of ways (laughs) I know that feeling honestly super sweet and yeah it just shows that you know you can really bring a lot of levity and joy to your life obviously with having an animal around but also I'm sure bring a lot of levity and joy to someone who knows that their animals being well taken care of absolutely my first foster was a dog that was having a lot of trouble in boarding and he had literally cut up his nails and his paws just being so upset and stressed out and so I had to take him with me everywhere so like this this dog with me on the TTC on everything and I remember taking him out and people would stop because he was such a stunning looking dog and I was like this is not in any way under the radar I was walking up a main street and there was a car not on the curb side but the middle lane that literally stopped and asked me where I got my dog. And, you know, we have standard protocols where you say your rescue and things like that. And so um, he was hilarious because he just loved people and loved being out. And he was not under the radar at all. It's super gregarious and hilarious and goofy. That must be so interesting (laughs) because, yeah, typically when a dog is like that and you're in foster care, you're like, yeah, they're up for adoption. (laughs) Like, go get them. So it's like the opposite. You're like, yeah, no, this is my dog and there's no one else like it. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know, but I like, we had so many, he had so many health issues and I had to give him salt water baths or Epsom salt baths for his, for his paws. paws. Yeah. And he would just like literally lie there. Cause I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get this dog to dip his hand in this bowl. And it was like both hands. 
And he eventually got to the point where I'd just roll him on his back and dip his feet in and he would fall asleep and his tongue would be like all over on because I'd put him between my legs and he would just like fall asleep and be like, He's like this is the spa. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's great. I'll definitely include these stories in because I think they'll give some nice levity. So let's talk about all of the t- different types of situations you're helping throughout Ontario. We have clients from all over the province right now, because it's only been a couple years since they've been Ontario. We're really pretty developed in southern Ontario. So Windsor to Ottawa, and then Toronto, we've slowly moved up uh, Newmarket, Barrie, uh, and Manitoulin Island. And we're looking to expand further north with a specific interest in North Bay and Sudbury. We help, I think I've said this already, but clients of all ages, gender, although a vast majority identify as female. Some as non-binary and a few identify as male. We're getting approximately five new applications a week, placing approximately one to two animals a week. Uh, And we get referrals and we've been working with victim services, which has been amazing. Shelters, children aid societies, community safety programs, and like I said, social workers from across the board. So it's been quite a lot of connections that we've made, but we're so thrilled to be a part of it and so thrilled to have been in a shortish amount of time been able to to do this. That's definitely amazing, but also definitely means that the more people that can help you out and foster means the more more animals can be placed in uh, loving homes while they figure out what's going on with their lives. <laughs> exactly. I'd love to just go over, you know, if anybody listening is in a precarious situation that they are trying to resolve, um, what are the steps they can take if they have pets that they want to have taken care of by Safe Pet Ontario? So the first thing is really just visit our website and you can look into all that we're doing. We are, we have lots of articles about, you know, our success and the people that we're working with. So if you're unsure, there is that proof, I think, of the process and the project that we're working on. We answer a lot of questions on the site and have some quotes from our previous clients as well. There is several steps that you need to do, but know that we will do our best to help you. And if we aren't the right connection, or if you want other help. We also have connections in the community of domestic violence, intimate partner violence, and sex trafficking, and would be really happy to connect you as well. If you're not ready, you know, all the information is there. Feel free to email us with any questions that you have that aren't answered on our website. And note that there is a quick exit on each page. So please be careful as as you're reviewing our information on our website. But we'd love to help you. And, and, you know, we're all animal lovers as well. And really just want to make sure we're keeping these families together. Yes, absolutely. And for those who want to help, we talked a lot about the fosters because they're obviously a big part of rescue in general. And hopefully <laughs> some people who are listening can get inspired to foster with you folks. But if they can't foster an animal, what else can they do? We're a totally volunteer-run organization. So there's lots of 
help that we need from our volunteers, uh, including recruiting or screening of fosters, transportation, as you can imagine, as we're going across Ontario is becoming something more and more important. We have different committees. So if you're interested in or have experience in fundraising or marketing, that would be great. Also donations, we have monthly donors, which are fantastic via Canada Helps. And if your workplace does donations or can do a fundraiser, that would really help us keep going and keep expanding our services and help more people. And if you can't do any of those things, share our social media posts, follow us on LinkedIn, we're on Instagram, Twitter, and sign up for our newsletter and just spread the word. I think the more that we are raising this as an issue that people are aware of, sometimes it's just, you know, the smallest comments that you can hear from friends, family, you know, even just acquaintances, that all is super helpful in us raising this issue and and making it known and making sure that these women are getting the support that they need. Yes, absolutely. I think even like you said, even the stat about shelters in Toronto is something that I only learned when I started, you know, volunteering and rescue. Um, And I think a lot of people even know of like stories of people having to give up their pets to people on the street or dealing with houselessness and not being able to keep their pets. So just the fact that there are avenues available for people in those situations is really great. Yeah. And one of the first things that we did when we were formulating Safe Pet Ontario was, well, formulating Safe Pet Program in particular was that not everyone goes into a shelter. The shelter situation is not for everyone. And people may need help from domestic violence, whether it's healthcare, mental health, you know, just financial. There's so many situations, homelessness, there's so many situations that people are into because of that, you know, the abuse that they've survived. And so it doesn't matter really what reason they need the help. We just want to make sure that if you're escaping domestic violence and human trafficking, that you're getting the help that we can provide by fostering your pet. Um, Where can people find Safe Pet Ontario? So we have our website at www.safepet.ca. And I hope you love it because we just rebranded everything. Amazing. And we are on uh, LinkedIn or on Twitter. And we are also on Facebook and Instagram. Perfect. And I'll have the links to all of that in the description below. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. This was really informational. And again, I just think it's great to see just the different layers of pet ownership, you know, like, there's so many people who deserve to keep their pets, even if they can't 100% provide for them all the time. Sometimes they need to take a step back, get the support they need. And it's great that organizations like yours can be part of that support network because I just can't imagine, you know, going through such a hard transition like that. You potentially have kids, you have your pets, and you, like you said, having to give them up or just leave them behind because of a precarious situation is probably just makes things really hard. Thanks so much for having me, Emini, and to all the listeners, appreciate you listening in and hearing about Safe Pet Ontario. Rescue Dog Love is a project by Yamini Cohen, inspired by her rescue dog boss, who you can find on Instagram with his doggy sibling Queenie at Queenie and Boss. 
to keep up with the Rescue Dog Love podcast, you can follow us at rescuedoglove.com or at rescuedoglovepod on Instagram. See you next time.